Um, I remember, I think it was, honey, 27 years ago. About 27 years ago, I was introduced. We were actually in Phoenix, Arizona, doing a, a youth convention and a district council. And I was elected as the new district youth director. I was 25 years old. And my wife comes on the platform, and she's like this. I think she was seven months pregnant at the time. And Anthony uh, was introduced to the world, right, on a youth ministry stage. And to see him as a youth pastor here at High Point is a, is a blessing to us. And so um, we have uh, three other children. They're all daughters. Uh, Crystal, can you stand, Crystal, and wave? That's Crystal, and it's... It's her birthday today. She's no longer a teenager. She is 20 years old, and I'm old. And this is Carissa. Yeah, and our daughter Cassandra is here somewhere with Sarah. And our very first grandson that you all get to see more than me, and I'm very jealous. Uh, but I want to thank all of you. Uh, my wife and I, honey, would you come real quick? My wife and I had one motto as we raised our kids. Um, we literally planted a church with the idea of discipling the kind of people that we wanted around our kids. Because we believed it wasn't just our job to raise up our kids in the way they should go, even though the Bible does tell us to do that, but to surround them with other people that love Jesus, that would rub off on them, and that would help them grow. So they have all kinds of spiritual aunts and uncles and grandparents and people that believe in them, and when they see them, they remember their upbringing. And so for me and, and, and my son, when he says, hey, our youth group is all about family, it's because the family of God is responsible responsible for the next generation and I'm telling you you're doing a great job so I'm trusting you with my grandson so you better love Jesus I want to introduce the hottest woman that I've ever met um, and and have her greet you real quick before I get into God's word you took my words I was gonna um it's a great to be here. I feel like this is our second home. Sometimes I feel like I'm here more than we're at our home church. So you're like our home away from home. Um, but I really, even yesterday, I thought if, if anybody has me say anything, I just want to tell anybody that may be considering this as your home church, you need to make this your home church. Um, especially because of kids. You can see here at this church they love you. Your pastors love you. And I would not have picked a better place for my grandson to grow up in than here. And I feel truly blessed that he's able to be here with you. So if you are here or you know of someone that needs encouragement, that needs Jesus, invite them here. And they will love them like nobody else has loved them before. But I want to thank you. Um, not only for loving my own family, but also for loving the community and the world. You are such a giving church. And when you give, God's going to bless your socks off. And I know that's happening because I had to park really far. <laughs> so I'm like, this is a good thing. So God bless you. Amen. Yes. Okay, I just wanted her to do that because I wanted you to see where Anthony gets all his talent before I open up uh, God's word this morning. I, I want to thank you this morning for partnering with ministries like Convoy of Hope. I, I do have in a, in a few minutes a video, and hopefully it, it works good, but we have a video from Hal Donaldson. I don't know if anybody remembers, but Hal and Dory Donaldson lived in Red Bluff, they attended your church, and, um, and I know for a fact, I, because Abe Daniel's wife is the pastor from back then's daughter, and she babysat for Hal and Dory when they lived in Red Bluff. If you don't know who Hal Donaldson is, he's the president and founder of Convoy of Hope. This ministry would not exist if it wasn't for him. So a member of your church is literally responsible for feeding 500,000 kids a day around the world. Isn't that amazing? 
So don't be that kind of person that says, can anything good come out of Red Bluff? Yes, absolutely. So once again, thanks for partnering with us. The church, your church has helped feed, clothe, empower people uh, with the gospel of Jesus, with food, with basic necessities all over the world. Um, Convoy of Hope does several things. Uh, we know it mostly for disaster response. And you may ask, how in the world did you get involved? Um, I was asked a long time ago as a pastor and as a member of another organization to come and serve on the board of Convoy. So I was on the inside for 10 years watching as this ministry just developed and grew. And uh, they asked Hey, Nick, we want you to help us find someone who's bilingual who can go to English-speaking churches and Spanish-speaking churches across America and be a spokesperson. So I was trying to help them find someone. I was busy working in a district office as a secretary treasurer, and I thought I had a really important job. And God said, I want you to do it. And so I said, Lord, but I, I, I have an important job. And after God was done laughing at me, I, I called Hal Donaldson, and the rest is history. I've been serving now for just about two years, getting close to two years. And we travel almost every weekend, speaking in churches and just thanking them. Um, and people have been absolutely amazing in response. This church responded to the need in Ukraine, and we're so, so thankful. But besides disaster response uh, to things like earthquakes and hurricanes and all that kind of stuff that happens even war now. Um, besides that, we do things like women's empowerment where we're training women on how to start their own business so that they don't have to depend on someone giving them food every day, but they can grow their own food, do their own business. And, and that is amazing. Amen. As a matter of fact, I want to tell you real quickly about my friend Heath Adamson. Heath Adamson helps us with global programming. And he was in a country that I cannot mention. But at this country, he says, he was watching as these little girls were putting on really nice dresses and putting makeup on. And he looked and he said to the host, he said, I know what's going on there because I have daughters. And he says, I have two daughters, and it seems like once a week, my daughters want to play with dad. Whenever I'm home, they want to play with dad, and they want to play wedding. So they put on a nice dress, they put makeup on, even though they're learning how to do it, and they come down, and there's an imaginary groom, and I do a wedding. And he goes, so these little girls must be playing. And the guy goes, oh, they're not playing. These little girls are being sold. And Heath said his heart fell into his, you could imagine, his heart fell into his socks because that shouldn't happen to seven and eight-year-olds. Then he said the host took him around the corner to a little school, and all the little girls in this school were wearing uniforms, and they had food at their desks, and they were learning about Jesus and learning about math and science, and, and they were learning. And, and he says, what a contrast between these girls here and these girls here. And the host looked at him and said, it's because of people who give where we're able to not only rescue girls from that kind of thing, but we're able to prevent parents, listen to this, from selling one of their children so they could feed the others. We don't have any idea what that's like in the United States of America. I know a lot of you in this room have been through some stuff, uh, but can you imagine that kind of choice? Because of donations from people like you, we're able to rescue people one at a time. We're able to rescue moms that could feed their own daughters and do amazing things. So I just want to thank you, thank you, thank you. Before getting into God's word, I want to show you this video from our president, Hal Donaldson. This is the Convoy of Hope story. You're going to hear my voice in this video you're about to see. Um, because I've been with this from the beginning. But please understand this, this is everyone's story. It's the thousands of volunteers, it's all the employees, the staff uh, who have come together to accomplish something that's really important to God. The real story of Convoy of Hope began we when I was just a child. One small step for man. Introducing the Beatles again, Mag August 25th, 1969, um, 
my parents were on their way to a business meeting. Their car was hit head-on by a drunken driver, and my father was killed instantly, and my mother was seriously injured, and she'd been in the hospital for many months with uh, broken bones, internal injuries. Bill and Levada Davis and their children, Steve and Terry, they lived in a single wide trailer, but they were willing to take us in. And ultimately, there were 10 of us that lived in a single wide trailer for about a year. I believe it was their kindness, their generosity that kept us four children from becoming bitter and angry. And uh, we really owe them our lives. Those were tough days, living on food stamps, uh, receiving welfare. But I can tell you that when those bags of groceries would come to our door from neighbors and people in our church, uh, it was like Christmas all over again. And uh, us four kids, we would pile into those bags of groceries. It's that kindness that we receive that drives Convoy of Hope even today. I know what it's like as a 12-year-old boy to be wrestling with hope and to be asking God the hard questions. Why do I have to go to school without the nice clothes? Why is my cupboard bare? And I believe it's that spirit, that those questions that um, we're answering through Convoy of Hope for a lot of people. They're being told they're not alone, they're not third-class citizens, that they matter. And it's because of that that people are finding hope and they're breaking out of the cycle of hopelessness. And uh, that's really what Convoy of Hope is all about. It's, it's giving hope, the same hope that was given to me when someone brought a bag of groceries to my door. There was a point in my life where I, um, I realized I, I was content, I was achieving my goals, but I wasn't happy. And it became very clear to me that um, I was telling people I was a follower of Christ, but I wasn't emulating Christ. Fast forward, I received a uh, invitation to write a book for Mark and Hulda Bentain, uh, famed missionaries in Calcutta, India. When I arrived, they told me that they had made an appointment for me to interview Mother Teresa. And in the course of that conversation, she just simply asked me, she said, young man, what are you doing to help the poor and suffering? And uh, I figured I shouldn't lie to her. And uh, I told her the truth. I said, I'm really not doing much of anything. And she responded, everyone can do something. And those words were haunting to me, quite honestly. And I came back and I didn't know what to do, but I knew I had to do something. When you look at where Conway of Hope is today, it, it's really hard to believe uh, where we came from. When you are trying to figure out how you're gonna pay your bills, you're questioning whether or not you can keep going because you're so discouraged. God made it happen because it's His heart. And um, we give Him the glory for what He's done. No one should assume credit, try to assume credit for this. There's only one that really deserves the credit and the glory, and it's God. And we've had the privilege of getting something done that's important to Him. Yeah. So that, that man used to come to church here. Isn't that amazing? And so we're known for the big red trucks. Um, going all over the U.S. and going to the ports around the U.S. to take food around the world. We're known for that, but we're also known for, for feeding kids, for women's empowerment. I think there's a slide that shows all those stats that they could put up there. Over 465,000 children. We hit 500,000, by the way. Uh, over 34,000 women and girls empowered. Over 23,000 participants trained in agriculture where they're literally being trained how to farm in their own land. Right now, even in the Bahamas. How many of you like to go to the Bahamas and see what they're doing? Amen. Uh, over 64 disaster responses, that was last year, in 29 program countries and 80 community events last year. Let's give God a, the glory, amen, for that. And, and we want you to know that at, at Convoy of Hope, that we're not doing it. The churches are doing it. We're just partnering. So whenever you see on the news, hey, there's a disaster. Let's say it hits uh, uh, Fiji. You can literally look at someone and say, High Point is there helping. 
Because when you give, Convoy of Hope is able to be dispatched to do what they're doing around the world. If you want to learn more about it, you can go to convoyofhope.org or talk to your ministers here. We are, we are so in awe of our partners. And the Assemblies of God is one of our main partners, your church, other denominations, all joining together. We want to do even more in Northern California. So will you help us pray as we begin to strategize more ways to help even in our state because of things like fires and things. How many of you know we're getting ready to respond to things even now? So God bless you. Thank you. But I really want to encourage you because sometimes we get really excited about spreading hope around the world and we forget that we need hope right in our very community. And we need hope sometimes right in our very home. I believe one of the worst sayings ever said in the English vernacular is don't get your hopes up. I hate that. But everybody in this room has heard it. And over 75% of us probably have said it. Hey, mom and dad, when do we get to go to Disneyland? Uh, don't get your hopes up. Because you'd rather, right? You'd rather under promise and over deliver. I, I, I get it. But stuff starts to happen in the psyche and in the spirit when we say things like don't get your hopes up. Right? It's what a horrible and fatalistic way to live life. I mean, how can you be more negative? First, assuming you have hope, don't get those hopes up. <laughs> the saying is basically saying, keep your hopes in check. Keep them down. Don't get too excited, emotional, exuberant. Don't believe Ephesians 3.20. Let's not. Let's just keep it under control. Right? suppress it the saying assumes that only there's only one thing worse than having hope and the and what's worse than having hope in this saying is basically having having the pain of having hope and then being let down how many of you know God never lets you down I know you've been through some things but God will never let you down God will never let you down in a room this size in a room this side, there is probably at least a few people today that feel a bit hopeless. I'm here to tell you that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. I'm going to say it one more time. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. There's a lot of things that people, right? There's a lot of things that people chase after to get hope. I, I have watched even the last two weeks, very wealthy people on television. I don't need to name them that are hopeless. You say, if I just had money, pastor, I would have hope. No, you'd have some money, but you are still you. Without Jesus, we're just us. And it doesn't matter what your economic level is. Hope is hope right? Hope doesn't come from money. Hope doesn't come from things. Hope comes from Jesus. And one encounter with Jesus and hope comes alive. One encounter with Jesus will give you a brand new identity. One encounter with Jesus and you will be empowered. You'll be empowered to live different, to act different, to think different, to talk different, to raise your kids different, to be a different kind of worker, a different kind of member of a church, a different kind of person in your community. One encounter with Jesus changes everything. How many of you know someone who needs an encounter with Jesus right now? How many of you need an encounter with Jesus? I... I need encounters. I need re-encounters. I need re-re-re-re-encounters. Because every now and then I'm just me. And I need a lot more of him. And a lot less of me. In John 4. In John 4, Jesus comes to a well. Some of you have heard this story. Some of you have studied this story. Maybe I can give it a little bit of a different twist. But I want you to put yourself in the shoes of this lady who's going to draw water at noontime. Jesus goes and he meets a woman who has sought empowerment in everything she could do on her own. Everything that culturally, everything in society that she could go and try to do to be empowered, to find some hope in something, to live a little better. She had tried it all. Only to find herself empty. 
as a consequence. But on this day, she would meet hope at a well and she would be empowered. Verse six says, Jacob's well was there. Let's make this interactive. Everybody say Jacob. Jacob is a very important man. Amen. Jacob is the one who wrestled God. Jacob is the one who lost the wrestling match and had his hip dislocated. So Jacob walked with a swag everywhere he went. Jacob also dug wells. And this well, where they're at, was called Jacob's well. Isn't it amazing that your great, 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 great grandfather could build something that you could still draw water from? Don't underestimate the legacy you're leaving your kids. It's not part of the message. This is just extra credit. (laughs) But don't underestimate that what you're building today, especially spiritually, will have its dividends for other generations. My son went to my dad just a couple of days ago and said, Abuelito, Abuelito, Grandpa, would you pray a blessing over my son, Josiah? who's crying now. And my dad is 90 years old. He's going to be 90 in December. My dad can remember everything from ages 18 to 20, 25, everything. He's now telling us things that we didn't even know about. But if you ask him what happened yesterday, he may say, I, I'm not really sure. It's just, he's, he's, he's got to that level. But when he prayed for our grandson, Something lit up in him, and he just started praying a prayer of blessing. And I'm reminded right now, my father didn't build an empire. My father uh, worked in the fields as a migrant farm worker. We're from Mexico. I was born in the U.S. They brought us here. Well, kind of. They brought us here. So I was born. And, and I watched my dad work very hard. I watched him lead worship every Sunday. But I was watching for a moment a legacy that I would not trade anything for. I, I, I'm serious. If, he could, if my dad could leave me $10 million, it wouldn't be as important as the kind of blessing he prayed over my grandson. He built something that other generations are going to have wonderful dividends from. So they're at Jacob's well. So as we enter into this story, don't make light of the fact that this well was dug by Jacob. It is a big deal. She knew it. Jesus knew it. And and I'm just wondering, how many times have you talked to Jesus and forgot who you're talking to? Like, sometimes we tell Jesus things that we, we, we say it in such a way that we're assuming kind of like he doesn't know. Hey, Jesus, I got some problems. Oh, really? What a surprise. I'm not all-knowing. I didn't see that coming. And Don't you love God that he has a way out before you have a way in? Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well In this story, they they could have gone around the Samaritan area, but they went right through it because Jesus, when he wants to go through something, he doesn't go around, he goes through. So he went through the grave, not around it. He went through the cross, not around it. And he goes through Samaria, not around it. So it's about noon, and when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus says to her, will you give me a drink? All right, there's a lot happening here. You, you, you're not supposed to go as a woman by yourself to a well where the men are hanging out. Uh, so that's happening. Um, you shouldn't talk to a woman who obviously is, you're going to find out here, who's been through some things. You shouldn't, you know, Jesus, he came to make rules, not obey old ones. So Jesus is there and, and he asks for a drink. And the Bible says his disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, this is what I love. Okay, it's Jesus. She doesn't know it yet. But hey, you're a Jew. Can you imagine the Lord? Oh. <laughs> Who would have thunk it? <laughs> you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. All right, we got that out of the way. Check that box. How can you ask me for a drink? And then we have here in parentheses, for Jews don't associate with Samaritans. The Bible deals with everything. Deals with everything. The Bible even deals with 
people who have differences in sociology classes, in, in ethnic groups, in religious groups. The Bible deals with everything. And if you don't think God has an answer for all of our prejudices, just read this story. So he's talking to somebody who understands they shouldn't be talking. You see, for many, many Jews, they simply referred to Samaritans as dogs. Oh, no, they didn't, Pastor. I don't believe that the Bible would ever tell. Oh, just look at a story where a Samaritan woman comes and basically says to Jesus, Hey, my, I need help. And, uh, and she looks at him and says, Hey, uh, um, my kids, and, and, and can you? And, and Jesus says, Hey, uh, we don't, this is for, we don't, we don't feed dogs. What? He's making a point. And how many know moms step up? And she says to the Lord, even dogs eat the scraps that come from the table. In other words, Jesus, even the leftovers are enough for me and my family to have hope. God's leftovers are bigger than your main dish. Amen. <laughs> Amen? God can do things with the scraps that you could never do if you had the whole steak. So... It's not the first one or only one uh, interaction that Jesus would have with Samaritans. They were known as the other. But here's this woman saying what I want to put on the screen here. Excuse number one. It's an excuse that many of us have used. You see, I just have the wrong background. I came to High Point. I heard a message. It was a wonderful message. By the way, your pastor, he rocks as a preacher. Yeah. Amen. And one of the ways you know you have a good pastor is when you're a guest speaker and everybody's listening, it's because you have an appetite for the word. And that only comes because someone's serving up good food. So this week, as he's resting, would you pray for him? And pray that he gets a ton of rest and he comes back more anointed than ever. Some of you are going to go, wow, pastor preached so good, let's send him on another vacation. <laughs> because man, sometimes everyone needs rest, Amen. Excuse number one, I have the wrong background. And some of us have heard messages, but pastor, I, I understand, but I, you just don't get it. You don't understand the family I was born into, the economic situation. You don't understand that I'm not even sure who my dad is. I'm from the wrong background. That's it, our excuse. Excuse number one, I'm from the wrong background. That's what she's saying. I, I, how do we interact? I, you know, I'm, I'm just from the wrong side of the tracks. Verse 10 says, Jesus answers her, if you knew the gift of God, I love this. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. I love what starts to happen here because I think this is not a, excuse the language, but not a dumb woman. This is a smart woman who is using cultural innuendos and whatnot, but she's going to start, as you see here, picking up on spiritual principles that intrigue her so much that she becomes a follower of Jesus. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. So she makes it very basic, right? You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? See, she's going to get to the point where she's not talking about water anymore. Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself? Do you know that many scholars believe that the angel that wrestled Jacob was Jesus in his pre-incarnate form as what we call a theophany. It's an angel. It appears as an angel, but it's actually Jesus so she's saying, do you think you're as good? Well, yeah, I wrestled Jacob and I whooped him. <laughs> I, I mean, that's what I would have said. But Jesus is a much more understanding and very loving. And, but I would have been there going, Jacob, yeah, did you see what I did to his hip? <laughs> right? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Sure I am. But he doesn't say anything. Who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock not drink from it. Excuse number two. Here's what she's saying in, the, in between the lines. I keep drinking from the same well and by the way, my well has history. 
Everyone in this room, your well has history. Whatever you've been drawing from to make it through a day, that well has history. Sometimes it's generational. Sometimes we're fighting demons that we never invited, but some great-grandfather did. And we need to overcome by the word of our testimony, right? And by the blood. But there are things that are naturally passed down. There are, there are things that happen in our lives. And it's just the way humanity and spiritual stuff kind of works. Where the Lord comes to say, I don't need to hear all of your background or your history. Uh, I need to introduce you to a new well. Your well, I'm going to make this super simple. Your well bad, my well good. She's saying, I keep drinking from the same well. And my well has history. I don't want to offend anybody, but Jack Daniels has history. Heroin has history. Even meth has history. But it's a well that will never satisfy. And some people in this room know it well. That you, you, you've gone back to things that someone before went to and you thought, well, I could handle it. And sooner or later, the well sucks you in instead of having any satisfaction at all. I don't know who that's for because it's not in my notes. But it's for someone. It's always been this way. It's always been this way is sometimes our greatest enemy, that, those words. But I've always done it this way. I've always done it this way. I'm reminded, and some of you probably have heard this illustration, but a pastor that I first served as youth pastor used to always say that, that his, his uh, mother-in-law would cut both sides of a roast, <laughs> right, and put it in the oven. And, and so he asked one day, why do you always cut both sides of the roast? You're cutting some good meat off of there. She says, I have no idea. So she asked her mom. And her mom says, oh, it's because grandma had a pan that was too small. <laughs> so generation after generation, we've cut the ends off. And we didn't even know, how many things do you do and you don't even know why you do it? How many habits do you have that you don't even know why they're there? And you think, I inherited it. No, it got passed down to you, but you don't know the why behind it. Let's make Jesus the why behind it. So habits, traditions, mindsets, generational hangups, these are the wells that we get hung up on. They all started, though, because of a need for significance. A need of something that would satisfy us. It's the need that she had. And ladies and gentlemen, it's the need that we have. We all want something to satisfy us. Many people get married thinking, finally I'll be satisfied. The problem is, you are the one getting married. So you bring into the marriage whoever you are. I'm a guest, I can say things like that. I'm having struggle in my marriage. Oh yeah, because you're involved in it. And unless you submit to Christ and change and become the kind of husband or the kind of wife that God wants you to be, you're going to keep struggling in your marriage. It's hard enough to be married with all the anointing in the world than to be married without any. Amen? And by the way, husbands, just a little bit of side information. The Holy Spirit is amazing. He could even help you be a good husband. Can you imagine, God, give me the discernment today to know if my wife needs a smile, a hug, a flower, whatever she needs. And the, Can you imagine tapping into the Holy Spirit like that? Come on, man, why not? Why not believe in a God that could guide you in everything that you do? You see, he is the well that will always satisfy. <laughs> Jesus answers, Everyone, listen to this, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. You drink from the water of alcohol, you're going to be thirsty again. You drink from the water of drugs, you're going to be thirsty again. You drink from the water of sleeping around, you're going to be thirsty again. You drink from any other water, any other well, and you will thirst again. 
Trying to find satisfaction in the same thing that's only given you heartache is one of the exact definitions of insanity. I keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, and it never happens. Yes, because it's not supposed to satisfy. God made us in such a way that he's satisfied in us and he wants us to be satisfied in him. That is a good spot for an amen. All right. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. How many of you understand he's talking about more than just water now? But there's plenty of evidence in scripture. There's themes of water. I I, I like being kind of a Bible nerd. uh, And and I love going through scripture. If you've never done this before, just look up all the times it says fire and watch what God's doing. Look all the times it says air and watch what God's doing. Look all the times it talks about the dove, right? And see what God is doing. One of the interesting ones is water. You know, there was a time where David, David is with his mighty man and he's in hiding and he's in a cave and he just says out of his mouth, and I think it's casually, he says, oh, that I would have some water from Bethlehem. You know what the men do? These dudes are ninjas. They put on their ninja outfits They go into the enemy's camp. They crawl and they do all kinds of, I don't know how they made it, but they go all the way to the well. They fill up a bag of water, bring it back to David because they thought he was literally saying, if I could just have water from that well, I would be happy. I would be content. David receives that water. And when he sees what the men have done, he pours the water out. I I know, right? I'd be like, Do you know I risked my life? But I think there's a lesson there. I was remembering the water, but what I wanted was the peace of Bethlehem and the peace of my childhood. And I wanted those feelings before life got so complicated. Ever been there? Ever been there? I remember as a kid where we couldn't afford a Christmas tree and the Boy Scouts of America came on the 24th. Knocked on the door. Hey, we had some extra trees. Do you guys need one? And it's those feelings when you're pulling in a tree that you could not afford. Those feelings of peace before life got so complicated. Right? Ever been there? We want the water from that well. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry you can never go back. You're never going to be six again. You might act like it, but you're never going to be six again. that's not a well from you to keep drawing out of, but Jesus is. So Jesus was saying here, every well you've ever tried to draw water from has left you thirsty. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Again, she's not being dumb. She's getting really into this conversation. He told her, go call your husband. Oh, this is when it gets good. Some of you stop wasting time with soap operas and Netflix. You need to get into the word of God because there's some some cool, juicy stuff in here. So he told her, go call your husband and come back. Let's deal with the man of the house. That's you could assume that's what he's saying, but he's not. He's knocking on a door now. And she says, "Uh, I have no husband, right? This is where it gets really interesting. Jesus says to her, oh, you're right. When you say you have no husband. But I want to stop right there because I think here's another excuse. Excuse number three. I have no husband. I have no source. For a woman in that day, in that age, in that neighborhood, in that community, having no husband would mean you have no protection, you have no uh, source of finances, you have no way to take care of things, you have no husband. The husband was the well, right? And Jesus needed to be the well. So I believe we're at a point here in the story where it's uh, okay let's pull back the curtains and deal with the real source of your emptiness the real source of your emptiness the fact is he says 
This is where it gets juicy. Everybody should be sitting up in their chair. You've had five husbands. He didn't say it like that. I think he went, you've had five husbands. Ooh. Talk about reading your mail. How many of you know, Jesus knows you can't hide anything. He knows what you did last summer. (laughs) All the people under the age of 20 just went, huh? All the rest of us are like, yeah. He knows what you did the summer before that, right? He knows what you did. He knows what you did. You've had five husbands. And now, dun, dun, dun. The man you now have is not your husband. Sister, you're shacking up. You've been married five times and now you're like, well, why didn't you even get married? I'll just live with somebody. You see, you're looking for a source in something that will never bring hope to you. What you have, what you have said, she says, is quite true. So then she says, sir, see, I think there was already some stuff going on in her heart because she says, I can see you're a prophet. She's now going to take this spiritual, right? In her weakness, she was able to grasp that he had insight from God. And as soon as it goes there, she reverts back. Okay, let's, let's get back into a religious conversation. And she says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that you worship in Jerusalem. Here's what she's saying. I know I'm a mess, but can we argue doctrine now? There will always be people, not in Red Bluff, but every other city in America. There will always be people who squabble over doctrine to ignore their personal emptiness. I'm not sure I liked what the preacher said. Well, I'm not sure I like your emptiness. Whoa, he went there. <laughs> right? It's like, let's, can we just talk? Let's talk? I don't know why they don't sing from the hymn book. I don't know why we don't do things like we used to do. I don't know why they're trying to win another generation. Well, maybe because the Bible says we're supposed to. So we squabble about things that are not as important and we ignore our emptiness where we should all be coming to the church as a source where we get to tap into the well, the well of Jesus, the well of community, the well of family, the well of the people of God. We keep coming back. Because we know God has a word for us. Because God is our source. So this woman is saying, hey, can we just argue about history and religion and why we're different? Woman, Jesus replies. I love how the Lord, he doesn't like, okay, let's talk about it, right? Because I probably would have engaged. You don't know history. I know history. But he doesn't go there. He says this, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. That's not what's important. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. I don't have time to get into all this, but he's basically saying, he's basically saying, you're worshiping, but you don't even know why you're worshiping. And we Jews, supposedly, we know what we're worshiping. And he says, salvation actually comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming. This is where all of that gets put aside. A time is coming and has now come when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. True worship comes when you know the truth. You begin intimacy with the source of real power. When we come and we sing, we are not at a campfire singing kumbaya. We sing because it's an act of worship. We bring a sacrifice of praise unto the house of the Lord. Every time something was brought for worship, do you realize something had to die? Every time you lift up your hands in worship, there should be a piece of you that dies. And pieces of him that fill the emptiness. We bring a sacrifice of praise. We praise. We offer up a sacrifice unto the Lord. God, there are things in me 
that I don't need. And through this act of worship, they're for you. It's about the spirit and the truth of worship, not about the kinds of songs or the beat or the bass line, even though I love the bass. God is spirit, he says, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman says, I know this, I, this part right here. It just nails me every time. I know, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. Can you imagine Jesus sitting there? Really? Wow. I know Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. In other words, now Jesus has her drawn in spiritually. And she's like, I want more. I understand now. I need the Messiah. You see, sometimes you come to church and you get the tinglys. And some hair starts to, that, that's not you. That's not just emotions. The spirit of God is opening up some things. He's knocking on your door. He's opening up your heart of faith. And it's up to you to say, I need Messiah. Just like she did. When he comes, he'll, he's going to explain everything to us. Jesus declares, okay, we got to stop here. Jesus has been walking around with 12 disciples, Right? All 12 disciples, they're not even sure who he is. They just know he's awesome. How do you know that? Because he says, who do men say I am? Right? Remember that part of the story? Who do men say I am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say this, some say that. Who do you say that I am? Right? Remember that? He asked those questions. He never had to ask her. Watch what happens here. Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Wait, 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 wait. He's been with 12 men. He's entrusting to usher in the kingdom of God. He has many opportunities to reveal the truth of his nature, of who he is to them. But here is this lady with many dimensions of issues. Five husbands shacking up at the well at noontime, probably looking for another man. She's from the wrong side of the tracks. She's a Samaritan. Sorry, voice is changing. She has sought security, moving from relationship to relationship. She has enough religious knowledge to argue something that has never set her free. That woman, that woman, the Messiah is going to come and say, I am he. I don't care what sin you walked in here with. The Messiah is saying this morning, I am he. I don't care what problem you've walked in, what sickness I don't care what you're going through. Oh, I care, but you understand what I'm saying. It's not as important as the fact that Messiah is here saying, I am he. I am he. I am he. But you don't understand. My son has gone astray. I am he. What does he remind you of? Moses, burning bush. Hey, God, what's your name? I am. What do I tell Pharaoh? I am. What do I do when the people don't obey? I am. What do I do when I lose my job? I am. What do I do when my wife's mad at me? I am. (laughs) He's your source. He's the well that will never run dry. And he's inviting you by telling you who he is And by telling you who he is, he's sharing with you how much you need him. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And whatever you've been through, whatever you've been through, he is saying, I am. I am Messiah. I am Messiah. I can set you free. Yes. Yes, one encounter with Jesus and hope comes alive. One encounter with Jesus will give you a new identity. One encounter with Jesus and you will be empowered. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And here's how we're going to close today. Whatever degree of walk with God you have, And some of us would maybe consider ourselves, 
right? Veterans in the Lord. I don't believe that we ever get to graduate on this side of heaven from an earnestness in our heart to become even better disciples, right? To encounter Messiah one more time. And I think the hope of the world is for a Christ follower to be set ablaze. If we were all on fire for God, a spiritual wildfire would spread where you would need six services at this place and four new parking lots. Can we pray for new problems instead of comfort? Where, where we have disciples coming in here where we're like, what are we going to do with them? You're going to have to help. How many of you know we sometimes we need spiritual nurseries? Sometimes we need brand new blood in the church. My wife and I used to love when we would take our little ones to the doctor and you'd go into the doctor's office. And if there was ever some elderly people in the doctor's office and they weren't well, they'd be like hunched over. But when they saw a baby, they'd straighten up, put a smile on their face. Even if it was fake, they put a smile on their face. Oh, that's the feeling of what it's like in church when souls start to come every Sunday. Every Sunday. No matter how old you are in the Lord, you'll straighten up and go, God's here. Now you can sing whatever you want, brothers, because I, that's what it's about. Pastor, preach whatever, because that's what it's about. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. God is going to expand our net and bring in a great harvest. So, no matter what well you've been tapping into, some of us are here and we're saved. We know we're saved. But every now and then, that old well, <laughs> that old well calls. And we need to say, hey, it's not for me. I'm going to Messiah. I'm going to Messiah. Would you stand to your feet? Right where you are, before anybody comes forward, I just want to say this. If you're watching online or you're here this morning, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, He is saying, I am Messiah to you. It's time. Some of you have been coming to church. Some of you have been kind of flirting with God. He doesn't want to flirt. He doesn't want to date you. He wants to marry you. He wants this to be a covenant. So today's the day to come to Jesus. With everybody's head bowed and their eyes closed, if you're here and you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, enough's enough, you're going to give him your life and let him do what he wants with it. Would you slip up a hand right now saying, I need Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Congregation, would you join with them in praying this prayer as encouragement to them? And if you didn't raise your hand and you want to be saved, say these words. Say, Jesus, I know that you died for me. I know there is nothing that I can do about my sin, but you did. So I accept what you did on the cross. I believe that you wash my sins away. And I confess that you are my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise? You have, you have here in your church a wonderful prayer team. If you would like to slip out of your seat as they begin to sing, I want to join them. My wife is going to join me. My kids are all going to join me, and we're going to pray for you and with your prayer team. If you are here today and you say, man, I want more from that well. Um, life has not been the best to me. Whatever it is, just come. Let us pray for you. Let us spend some time in his presence before pastor comes and dismisses. Amen.
That is who you are. That is who you are. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Amen. That is who he is. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our God does not change. Can we give Dr. Nick, a, uh, Nick Garza, a wonderful welcome? Thank you for bringing the word. Let's never stop drinking from the well, the well that satisfies. Um, we actually have classes before our uh, morning services at 9 a.m. They're specifically for new believers or those who want to grow in their knowledge of the Bible and what it is to strengthen their walk with Christ. And so if you gave your life to Jesus this morning, please uh, start those morning classes before service. Get into the first steps class. That's the, that's the startup one. It's only 12 weeks. And when you finish it, not only are you going to be so much more secure in your relationship with Christ, we actually give you a study Bible to continue on your way. And we have a few other classes as well. So if you gave your life to Jesus, please prioritize getting in the word and prioritize getting trained in how to strengthen that relationship with him and that commitment that you've set. Otherwise, continue to pray for Pastor David and Lisa so that they can be refreshed and they can come back invigorated. And uh, thank you so much for being here with us today. We hope to see you next week. God bless everybody.